Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. So over 50 years ago, there was a TV show. And like all great discoveries, the Crypt of Tutankhamun, the Lost Sea Scrolls, you name it, somebody has to rediscover them. And there's a book out right now called Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series that's been unearthed, rediscovered, given new life by a man named Chuck Harder, the author of the book. And he's here with us today. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's nice to be here, and we'll both go back to high school for a little while. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... It is Monday, April 2nd, 2018, episode 262. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show. The time was the early 1960s. TV shows about school, silly comedies. Then, out of nowhere, comes an incredible show called Mr. Novak. It was brilliantly written, flawlessly acted, and had motion picture level cinematography. Then, in just two years, it was gone. Having won a trainload of awards, rarely to be seen again on American television. Well, now author Chuck Harder has done a deep dive to resurrect the memory of this show with his book, Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series, which covers the subject in a masterful fashion down to the cellular level. You can get the book by going to MrNovakBook.com. So, get ready to take notes class as we learn about the TV show Mr. Novak from the headmaster himself, Chuck Harder, tonight on the Tom Gully Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, in the next seven years of bigger and bigger enrollments, America's grade schools will need nearly a quarter of a million extra teachers besides those to fill normal vacancies. This great need plus the growing public interest in education and improvements in schools, 
make elementary school teaching a more rewarding career than ever, a career that high school and college students should certainly consider. Education holds America's future, perhaps your future. So over 50 years ago, there was a TV show. And like all great discoveries, the Crypt of Tutankhamun, the Lost Sea Scrolls, you name it, somebody has to rediscover them. And there's a book out right now called Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series that's been unearthed, rediscovered, given new life by a man named Chuck Harder, the author of the book. And he's here with us today. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's nice to be here, and we'll both go back to high school for a little while. I got to ask. I mean, I'm yeah. a TV freak, and I knew of Mr. Nova. I had a nodding acquaintance that it existed. What in the world made you say, I'm not only going to enjoy or tell other people about this series, I'm going to write a book that, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, is down to the DNA level about a 50-year-old TV show, was only on two years, but is flat-out amazing. Well, uh, okay, Uh it's a little bit of a story, but I think it's a good one, and it can show how things can uh, suddenly make a turn when you least expect it. When the show aired in the uh, early 60s, I was a very, very little kid, and as we were a one-TV family, uh, we didn't watch uh, Mr. Novak because it was opposite Combat, which was a war series with Vic Morrow. My dad being Air Force, I'm sure you can guess which one we watched, but... <laughs> James Franciscus was an incredibly handsome blonde actor, and much to his later chagrin, uh, was featured in the teen magazines of the day, like 16 or Teen Screen, along with Paul McCartney or Herman or pop stars. So the girls in uh, my classes would bring in their teen magazines, and I saw the handsome blonde guy, and that's about all I knew. So for reasons we'll get into a little later, uh, the show, after it stopped in 1965, never reran. So it didn't, it kind of just, just disappeared. Uh, occasionally in the decades that followed, if there was a book on the history of television, they would maybe have a photograph of uh, James Franciscus and Dean Jagger, and it would say something like, Mr. Novak was a uh, great dramatic show about high school that. Uh, aired for two years, and that was about it. Now, uh, the show did rerun in the late 80s on Turner Network Television, and we'll talk about that later, but I had no idea of that at the time. Now, about three and a half years ago, a friend of mine in New York who uh, sells uh, underground music uh, CDs and DVDs sent me a package of some music stuff, and in it was a pile of DVDs marked Mr. Novak. Well, I didn't even know what that was, so I called him up, and I said, Bruce, what's Mr. Novak? Oh, that's, uh, that's that old show about high school from the 60s. I know you like 60s music, so I sent it. So I said, well, thanks, okay, and I thought, well, I don't want to watch these. This is going to be old and boring and corny, and, and I'm not even interested. So I set them aside, 
And about three and a half, four weeks later, I was about to pack them away permanently. And I thought, well, he did send them. It was a gift. I'll, I'll watch one and I can tell him I did. So I put on the pilot first year, first day. And Tom, about halfway through it, I went, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is pretty good. And by the end of the pilot episode, this is really good. And on the same disc was a, an incredibly great dramatic episode about a former alcoholic teacher uh, returning to Jefferson High School called The Risk. I watched that. It was great, you know, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. I, I'm pretty knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about the history of TV and so forth. Um, why don't I know about this show? So I went on the uh, Internet to buy a book on the series, and there wasn't one. Well, okay, and I tried to find a biography of James Franciscus, and there wasn't one. But I did find a website by a teacher in Florida who's still teaching in his early 70s, and it was a love letter to the show. And apparently he was a first-year high school teacher in 1963 when it first aired, and he said that it made him a better teacher. He knew people who became teachers because of that show. Um, he said he had a lot of the episodes and just was raving about this great show. So I sat here and I thought, well, I guess... I guess I'm going to do it. So in a nutshell, Tom, the reason I did the book is I was so impressed by the quality of the series on every level and then dismayed that it has not only been forgotten, but nothing had been written on it, that I embarked on a three-year journey, and here we are. And this book, I mean, I read all these books that come out about old television, and a lot of times they're well-meaning they have a lot of pictures, very large type with lists and things of this nature. This book was a scholarly effort. I mean, this book goes into such great detail with press clippings and interviews of the principals involved. And by that, I mean the people involved, not the principal. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I have to tell you, this book really impressed me. But the thing that impressed me the most was this series. And I just think it, it is a lost, amazing classic. Uh, the I've got get-off-my-lawn syndrome, I'll admit it. But this goes beyond any of the series in terms of the cinematography, the subject matter, the writing is incredible, and a pantheon of... Actors who end up becoming huge stars uh, had some of their first roles in this TV series. Uh, let's talk about the guy that's the godfather of this show or the headmaster, as you say in your book. Uh, e. Jack Newman, uh, you know, super accomplished in terms of writing and producing shows. Can you give a little background on him? Yes, absolutely. And, and everything you just said, if I may digress just prior to that, is absolutely true. Um, the production values, scripting, acting, directing, editing, costuming, sound, everything on Mr. Novak is absolute first class. And as far as the production, I found out that in 1963, when the show uh, went into production at MGM Studios, near me here in Culver City, uh, MGM was not making many new films. 
they tended to lease studio space or uh, distribute films already made. So all of the A-list motion picture technicians were on yearly salary and had to be put to work. So everybody involved with Mr. Novak, the television show, is an A-list motion picture technician, and it shows. Um, E. Jack Newman was an absolute, uh, well, I would say genius, but he was a creator, producer, and writer of artistic integrity who always did his research, went the extra mile, kept getting better. Um, just, just He was a, a guy that would work and work and work and work to make things better and better and better. And he had had a lengthy career writing radio scripts. He'd done a lot of television scripts prior to Mr. Novak. He wrote a great Twilight Zone called The Trouble with Templeton, which is, you know, an outstanding one. And he just, he was a guy who was respected in the industry. He was a guy who, they knew if he was involved with anything, it would be better than normal. So he decided that his next project in 62 would be to maybe do something on high school uh, life. Because prior to Mr. Novak, there had been a couple of series, Our Miss Brooks and Mr. Peepers, which were sitcoms, silly teachers and wisecracking students and that kind of thing. And, and they were good shows of their type. But he wanted to make, as much as television would allow in those days, a realistic portrayal of high school administrators, principals, teachers, and students. So he went around the Los Angeles area and interviewed all of those types of people and discovered all of these amazing and true human interest stories, which he channeled into the series. And the remarkable thing, Tom, is I interviewed over 40 actors on the show, and every single one of them instantly agreed to be interviewed. Then they said, well, do you have my episode, episodes, whatever? Well, I had most of them, so I sent DVDs. Every single one of them responded with, I cannot believe how great this show is, how much it holds up, how the cutting-edge themes could be applied today. They were blown away. And in many cases, they showed the episodes to their kids and even grandkids, and they all you know, even for an old black and white show, they, they were all blown away. And it's funny, if there were granddaughters who were teenagers, they thought James Franciscus was a real hottie. So, you know, he kind of <laughs> endures in that level. But it, it's great, you know, and, and that was gratifying to me. And anybody else I interviewed, like extras who are on the show or, or fans or this or that, they all just absolutely go crazy when they see it. And in the five months since the book's been out, I've done a lot of interviews. And in many cases, I've sent episodes ahead, as I did to you. And, and every single one of them went, God, the show is great. So it's really hope, Tom, that Warner Archive, who apparently has discovered and found all of the elements of season one of Mr. Novak, will issue it as a DVD set, uh, hopefully sometime this year. Because up till now, it kind of depends <clears throat> who you know or where to look and you can get <laughs> copies, which is a real crime because it's such a great show. Oh, it's an incredible show. How many of the people that you've sent DVDs to, and thank you so much for sending the ones you sent to yeah. me, did what I did. 
I thought, oh, I'll pop this pilot in. And, you know, pilots can be a little problematic for television shows right. in that they've got a right. lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of character establishment right. and developing sort of what the tone of the series will be. I thought I'll pop this in on a Saturday morning and just kind of check it out. And that pretty much was the end of my Saturday because I binge watched right. every one of the episodes in a row. It, it was uh, it was really almost uh, like a time machine because not, not only were you going back to look at this uh, classic series, but as you said, it holds up today. We have many, many medical dramas, uh, certainly some of the, you know, the criminal sort of procedurals that we'll get into aspects of their daily lives and their personalities but as far as a television series unless you want to you know point it to room 222 which this probably laid the groundwork for it um, did it did th this show was beyond its time but it's unique it it stands up on its own in almost every single way from the quality of the acting, the quality of the writing. And I'm super impressed by the cinematography and uh, you know, of course, Lillian Gish pops up, Ed Asner pops up, Simon Oakland pops up. You, you see all these really tremendous actors, not to mention the, the actual cast. And it's almost indescribable to someone. You almost have to sit them down and say, you need to watch this because if you tell them about it, they're, likely to think oh he's just crazy about this show it's like no well i may be but th there's really something here yeah it is and and i i think you're right i mean hopefully people that have or will get my book uh, can kind of see the show through that and uh, um, this is not ego per se but i know what i can do and it is a really great book you know and and it's filled with uh, illustrations and it's well written and it's informative without being overwhelming you mentioned earlier in our talk about you get a book and it's lists and lists and lists and i have some of those and sometimes i end up skipping pages because it's not readable it's it's data spreadsheet books and uh, i didn't do that here i i kept it sort of light and conversational but that's the interesting thing um that if, if you can see any you're a fan and what I hope happens when it is issued is just about every other major show of the 60s uh, re-ran in the 70s, was on VHS in the 80s, DVD in the 90s. You can probably stream them now or see them on a cable rerun station or something. Mr. Novak's the one that, that crawled under a rock. So when it does come back, it's going to be fresh and new. And I think people will rate it among the highest uh, quality shows of the 60s. Well, and it's an interesting. And then, it's interesting because. Well, it may, it may be one of the maybe one of the best shows of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's as far yeah. as dramas are concerned, the quality is just through the roof. If it was out today, it would it'd certainly be on pay television. It's that it's that kind of quality. It's interesting to me that the series hasn't blossomed you know, beyond syndication due to the fact that it was so acclaimed and that the teaching profession and the educational profession all recognized it. And typically things like that are kind of, I don't want to say recycled, but they're perpetuated uh, by the school systems. You know, they're well, yes, yeah, Peabody that, that, Award winner for crying out loud. 
Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And the National Education Association, which is still going with, I think, a million and a half teachers, and they, they had almost that many when the show was running, awarded it many times. And Ejek Newman even uh, acquired a five-member real teacher team from the uh, National Education Association to oversee scripts to help ensure accuracy. So, um, yeah, it was it, it, the educational community loved that show because it made teaching, and I don't mean this in a Hollywood phony kind of way, um, heroic or something to really look into. The other thing that I find intriguing is Mr. Novak uh, was out 63 to 5, so it did catch that Kennedy-era new frontier optimism of America, uh, even into Johnson in 64 and 5, where Room 222 came out in the late 60s, and by then there had been political assassinations, Vietnam, uh, youth, uh, you know, age and youth, uh, clashes, riots in the streets, and so forth. We began to be a more cynical time. But Mr. Novak captured that early 60s optimism where things could be talked about or dealt with or, uh, or shown. And uh, that is why it, it is an artistic crime or even a social crime that it disappeared. And the reason it didn't rerun was made, two major reasons. One, there were only 60 episodes. I mean, it's funny. In those days, an hour dramatic series would make 30 episodes a season. What is it now? 10, 11, maybe 12. Um, and syndicated packagers in the mid-60s wanted at least 90 episodes because they'd be running them five days a week. Not enough episodes. Dean Jagger and James Franciscus, the leads, worked for deferred salaries during production for a higher royalty rate on the reruns. So it was a little bit more of an expensive show and not enough episodes, so it didn't rerun. Now, uh, an interesting fact that didn't happen but shows the quality of the show is that E. Jack Newman was contacted when the series ended, and there was a firm that wanted to acquire 16-millimeter prints of ten, the 10 best episodes of both seasons and distribute them to high schools to teach moral lessons or educate the kids. Now, what does that say about a Hollywood production that is so respected that it could actually educate kids? And it didn't happen, but it shows that it could have. And that's what's remarkable now when people see them. Um, there's uh, themes on uh, racism, anti-Semitism, uh, bullying, um, cheating, um, a, a lot of real cutting-edge themes that could easily be done today. And with that said, Tom, um, yes, it was a very cutting-edge, edgy show, but it wasn't a preachy show. E. Jack Newman always wanted to structure the moral lesson, if you will, beneath the entertainment. So it's always there, but it's not in your face, which may have been a more sledgehammer approach in the 70s and 80s. And uh, it, it's really good. So my book, Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series, which, by the way, is available at Amazon.com and BearManorMedia.com in several editions, um, it is really honoring this incredibly, really great show that deserves to be not only remembered, but brought back. So hopefully Warner Archive will.
Well, it's interesting because a show that E. Jack Newman did immediately following Mr. Novak, uh, when I got your book, I found out that E. Jack Newman was behind a show that's become one of my very favorites, uh, A Man Called Shenandoah. It's only yeah, 34 episodes. It's currently in syndication on Get TV every morning. Um, well, not yeah, and not only that, the, the series prior to Mr. Novak, Sam Benedict, which starred Edmund O'Brien as a San Francisco trial lawyer based on a famous one, Warner Archive has put that out. But I think what happened was, or at least this is what I sort of was told, they couldn't find all the elements because apparently and this sort of segues into when it did rerun in the late 80s. Nothing happened until about 1985, and in that year, Ted Turner bought the MGM studios and everything in it. He acquired all of the product. So he started Turner Network Television in 1988, and he would rerun Mr. Novak episodes at 3 o'clock in the morning for about two years. Fortunately, fans set their VCRs and got them, okay, so that's why they're around. I've got 55 of the 60 of them. And out of that, there's maybe two bad ones, three okay ones, and the rest are good and up, with most of them being really good. So their batting average was very high. But, but that was the only time it was shown again, and it was shown in a terrible time slot. So I, uh, I just really think when this does come out, people are going to uh, be stunned and happy to see a great series and anybody who's a fan of retro tv even you know if you were living then or you're younger and like you know retro stuff they'll flip because it's uh it's just it's just superb in every way well and it's interesting you mentioned the um the cutting edge themes and some of the subject matter they were dealing with what struck me was that they dealt with it, as you mentioned, in an even-handed manner, a realistic manner, uh, not a preachy manner. But these were also issues that television was just on the cutting sort of outer edge of actually addressing and dealing with. That's right. And Mr. Novak right. dealt with them head-on, openly, plainly, uh, in a in a very down-to-earth fashion, I thought, uh, all throughout yeah, the, well, the episodes it, you sent. Yeah, well, it, it, it did in a down-to-earth fashion. And what I found, and a lot of the people that I interviewed or talked to uh, later, or interviewers or whatever, um, certainly there's sentiment in the show. And uh, whenever that happens, it's really interesting to see it's not overdone. It's still affecting. It'll still bring a tear to your eye, but it's not like a lot of old shows where it's so heavy-handed, it's almost unintentionally comic. You know, when, when the pregnant girl has to leave the school or whatever it is. The other interesting thing, and this I'm sure is E. Jack Newman's input, was that um, in some of the Mr. Novak episodes, there aren't happy endings. It ends tragically. Yeah. Because life does not uh, fix itself in the last three minutes before the final commercial. And that, too, was kind of a new approach to television in the very early 60s. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a remarkable, really remarkable show. Uh, Dean Jagger is absolutely wonderful as Principal Vane. Um, uh, just, just great. I mean, he, he underplays a lot, and he, he is an authoritative administrator, but he also is human. He's a little befuddled sometimes. 
James Franciscus grew in the part, and especially in the first year. And uh, between the two seasons, E. Jack Newman put together a little 16-millimeter film charting Mr. Novak's progress as a teacher with clips of the first season in chronological order and distributed that to high schools. And the demands were so great, they had to strike many, many more prints to send. And this was shown to future teachers of America associations or teachers group meetings or so forth. So his character grew. And then in the second season, midway through, when Dean Jagger had to leave because of ulcers and a clash with a second season producer, Burgess Meredith came in prior to the Penguin and uh, on Batman, and he's great. So yeah. all, of the, all of the regulars um, are, are just wonderful. And an interesting fact about the show is there was a, a regular teacher because there were two or three and then there's about seven teachers that have minor roles but recurring roles was an african-american actor named vince howard now vince was primarily a singer and uh, newman saw him in a club and said how'd you like to act well okay so he played a teacher on mr novak starting in 63 now bill cosby gets the credit for being the first lead african african-american actor in a dramatic show on tv but that was two years later um vince howard's actually the first and newman also makes the uh the uh, body of the school kids multiracial, you know and, which again is you think about it at the time there were asian kids and latin kids and uh, african-american kids and white kids you know and that's life yeah. so when you see that now, it's almost like, oh, yeah, because that's how it is now, you know. Well, one so, of the uh, things that I was struck by uh, just in the 10 episodes that I watched is that in television of that time and even now, there's pretty stereotypical characters in certain roles in um, the main cast of a television program. There's the authoritarian guy. There's the woman that wants respect because she's a woman. There's wh whatever there happens to be. This mm -hmm. show, in my opinion, had no stereotypes. There were no stereotypical characters in it. James Franciscus may have been a youthful, uh, you know, teacher that was idealistic, but he was far from stereotypical. Dean Jagger was simply brilliant in that regard. Yep, and he, he was absolutely. very, very authoritarian. He had his way. He wanted things done. But as you said, he was sometimes bewildered. He had foibles. He had weaknesses, which you never would have seen, say, in a Western with a sheriff or in a That's police right. drama with a lieutenant. And all the characters were that way. They were real human people that were multifaceted. Absolutely. And the, the third lead in the first season was an actress named Jeannie Ball, who is probably now remembered for a Star Trek episode. And uh, she was an attractive woman and she was the assistant principal. So that kind of set a precedent at the time, because whenever teachers had been shown on television, they were school marms or older, or not attractive, but she was attractive. And she was authoritative, but she also was a woman with a woman's emotions and that kind of thing. And she really brought a lot to the show. Um, the show in total in the two years, Tom, won 47 awards for excellence, none of which came from the TV industry. The show and Dean Jagger were nominated for Emmys and did not win, but all of the rest of the awards uh, 
came from educational uh, institutions or organizations. The show won awards, NBC won awards, E. Jack Newman won awards, Jagger won awards, Franciscus won awards, Jeannie Ball won awards, another cast member, Marion Collier, who played the home ec teacher, she won an award. Burgess Meredith, even though he came in late, he won an award. A couple of the writers got Writers uh, Guild Awards and so forth. So in, in a strange way, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, Mr. Novak may be the most awarded 60s television show if you count ones that lasted two years or even longer, and yet it's forgotten. You know, a bitter irony that hopefully will turn around. Well, you mentioned talking to former actors that had been on the show, say, in a guest role or uh, even mm -hmm. some of the cast members. Uh, talk a little bit because you got some pretty heavyweight people to endorse. Well, yeah, I, and uh, yeah, yeah. And and again, it's funny. And I'll tell one story and I'll clean up the key word. You'll have to guess what it was. But um it just, whenever I could reach them, and, and this is a sad truism of the modern world, but many times when a writer or an interviewer goes through an actor's agency or agent, they never get it because the agent considers it a non-paying gig or there's no percentage. So in some cases, I had to go through a friend of a friend type thing. Story okay. of my life, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it, it's terrible, but it, it is what it, it is. It is. So... In one, in one case, this was really funny, um, Walter Koenig, who we all know as uh, Ensign Chekhov on uh, Star Trek, actually made his first lead appearance in a television series in Mr. Novak in 1963. He plays a Russian exchange student, Alexei Dubov, who has trouble fitting into life at Jefferson High School in America. And he's really good, and he's got a great scene with Dean Jagger, uh, the principal at the end, and he did two more episodes as well. So I tried to get him, tried to get him, tried to get him, tried to get him, and then amazingly, I got his number. So I called him up, and his wife answered, uh, yes, and I, well, Chuck Harder, and I'd like to talk to Walter. Well, what is this about? And I said, well, I'd like to talk to him about Mr. Novak. Uh, Walter, there's a guy on the phone wants to talk to you about Mr. Novak. I hear him in the background. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he comes to the phone and he says, why the do do you want to talk about Mr. Novak? What? <laughs> and I said, well, because it's blah, blah, blah. And he goes, this is great. I never talk about that. That was the best show. Absolutely. Let's have lunch and talk about it. I think I have some stills. He went crazy. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, and then when I finally reached Tony Dow, who we all know from Leave it to Beaver, and he was on five episodes, three as the uh, editor of the high school paper, <clears throat> he was very nice, and he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to, but God, I haven't seen it in years. Okay, so I sent him his five episodes, and as you know, Tom, the episodes are two to a disc, so he got ten. Well, when I went over to interview him, and his very charming wife was there, it turns out they watched all ten even the ones he wasn't in because they were so impressed by it. And Tony was saying, because um, Tony has done direction and television as well, sure. he was raving about the direction and the editing and the acting and everything, and he went crazy. I reached Ed Asner. Oh, yeah, I remember, sure, kid. You know, he was down with it. You know, So anybody I reached and just mentioned it, Bo Bridges did it by uh, email, but still, you know, he said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And I'll tell you a great story, which uh, uh, is really a heart-rending one. Um, near the end of uh, putting the book together, I uh, 
I went back through each episode because the book, Mr. Novak and Acclaimed Television Series, uh, has original reviews on every episode, but I wanted to give my own review. And as, as, to sort of play the teacher thing, I rate them by uh, grade, B right, plus, right. C minus, and then I try you know, talk about it. So I was watching the episodes, and I noticed one late in the run had a young African-American teenage girl in it. She was really good. Her name was Allison Mills. So I thought, did I try and find her? Well, it turned out I didn't. Well, I searched and searched, and I found her. She's now Allison Mills Newman. She lives in Atlanta. She's a minister, a widow. And I got her on the phone, and she was, really? And she says, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. And she told me the following story. In 1965, she was 14 here in Los Angeles, and she was part of an African-American acting troupe run by a character actor named Frank Silvera. She had gotten no parts on TV because there weren't many parts for black people on TVs in those days, but she'd done some plays. Well, Frank did an episode of Mr. Novak, uh, and about a month later, I guess, they contacted him. Do you know any young girls that could audition? So she got the part. She was thrilled, and she went down to film, and she was acting with a great character actress named Lois Nettleton, who uh, did many, many fine shows. Yeah, The Twilight Zone and many others. And she said Lois was super nice to her and hugged her, and they were in character. And when she did her big scene with Lois, the crew applauded and hugged her. And she, like every other teenage girl in the world, in America in those days, had a crush on James Franciscus. And he came over and said to her mother, you've got a fine young actress here, and she's beautiful. Yeah, amazing, you know, for her first day in television. So about a month later, the show aired, and all 40 members of the acting troupe were crowded into her living room. And it came on, and they all cried and hugged her, and, you know, they had food, and she didn't sleep that night. And, you know, just couldn't have been a more beautiful experience. And she said it led to some parts, and then she ended up as a semi-regular on the Julia TV series with Diane Carroll, the, the sitcom. Right. And then did some films and then found the calling and moved to Georgia. And she now is also an indie filmmaker. So it's a great story, but she, it was a great experience being on that show. And that's what literally everybody said. And, and I, I didn't, I had one guy who didn't want to do it, who had an attitude. One guy who said too many drugs in the sixties, can't remember anything. <laughs> and then, one lady said it was too painful a time to go back, but wish, wish me well. But the other 40 all jumped on it in a second, and they, they just kept raving about it. And this, Tom, was in many cases before they even saw their episode. This is in the first phone call. Wow. They were going, oh, my God, yeah, what a great show. Oh, it was, oh, James Francis, oh, Dean Jagger, oh, it was just, oh, my God. And then when they saw them, they went crazy. Well, the so episode, it was very gratifying to me. You the know? episode with Robert Culp. And uh, Tony Dow and uh, Johnny Crawford, uh, you know, oh, yeah. you, you see him and you just go, oh, my God, there's 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 Mark from North. Well, Oak. yeah. And yeah. And, and that was an interesting one from the second season, because um, Robert Culp plays a, a political conservative extremist mm -hmm. and uh, and the sort of political overtones of it sort of relates to the modern day in very many much. Ways. Very okay, uh, but but again, it it's done in a way that it presents the issues of the good or bad guys or or the injustices without slamming you in the face with a brick. It sort of presents it, 
and it's much easier to make your decision of how you feel about it as a viewer. And that's what's so nice about this, because I'll give you an example. Um, the Defenders was a great early 60s lawyer show, sure. okay? And, and the first season came out, uh, I don't know, a year ago or whatever, and I got it, you know, and it is. It's an excellent show. But I watched about half, I've seen about 20 of the 30 or whatever, and in each hour episode, there's in every single one, there's maybe a minute or two where it's pushing too hard. The music's too loud. The dialogue's too obvious. The, it's overacting. It doesn't detract from the excellent quality of the show. It was and is. But it, there's that brief glimpse of, oh, yeah, early 60s. You know what? In Mr. Novak, that never happens. It, and out of 55 episodes, it never happens. Where you cringe for a minute and go, ooh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, they and were, I've even seen that happen in 70s and 80s shows. Well, sure. You know, where it's, they, they have a message and they, they show their hand, so to speak. They didn't right, do that in right. Mr. Novak. And what nope. I found most interesting was that even the heavy in these shows was multifaceted. You found yourself, That's right. okay, maybe you didn't like that person, but you were going, well, he kind of has a point. Right. You know, it's like I can see that side of what he's saying. One of my favorites, and it's so hard to say amongst the 10 that you sent, because each one of them is excellent in his own right, uh, was the episode with Simon Oakland. Uh, and oh, him yeah. being the shop teacher that at first Mr. Novak thinks, is this guy just a little rough on these kids? I mean, come on. And, and then he tells right. him why. He right. gives him the speech well, no. and tells him why he's got to be so tough on them. I completely agree, and that's one called With a Hammer in His Hand, Lord, Lord. And that was written by John D.F. Black, I think his name is, who later wrote for um, Star Trek. And I, he won an award for that episode for writing. And the point that Simon o Oakland makes, because he's a shop teacher, and he pushes the guys really hard, almost like a marine drill instructor, is... Later, and he, he is attacked by some students at the beginning, and that's basically the backstory to find out who did it or, you know, that kind of thing. Walter Koenig's in that one, sure. by the way, too. Boy in the Green and, Sweater. Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, um, again, presented in an entertaining way without beating you over the head, the shop teacher tells Mr. Novak, he says, look, all my guys ha have is their hands to work with. You know, and it's a it's a it's a terrible market out there with more guys than job openings. I have to push them to be better and better and better, and I have to be hard on them to at least stand a chance in the work market. So, at the beginning, you may think he's a dictatorial jerk, but as you find out why, and this is what you were referring to, it um, you can see that uh, oh, okay. You, tough love in a way, you know, you got to push him to go. And again, it's just show after show after show, you know, and what was nice for me, uh, since it was on 50 plus years ago, thank heavens it was a high school show because in those days, uh, Tom, I think the union rule in, in LA here was you had to be 18 to play a high school kid because they'd have to devote four hours a day to schooling. Okay. So the high school kids are all 
then in their early 20s, which means they're in their mid-70s now. So I did talk to some real old people, uh, but for the most part, they were in their 70s. And one guy who tragically passed away was Martin Landau. Yeah. And I contacted him the minute I said it. Absolutely. I love that. My did two appearances. I love that show. It was great. Can you send me the episode? So I did. We met for lunch. And he said, there's nothing dated about him. He, he was he was blown away by himself, by the show, by the scripting, by everything. And the funny thing was, is his second episode, again, from 1965, um, he plays the aggressive uh, uh, seller of this new device called a teaching machine for high schools, and it's a primitive computer. And he's saying that this device can teach better, faster, quicker, and more accurate than a human teacher. And another teacher, Nehemiah Persoff, great old character actor, he's saying, well, maybe, but you've got to have the human touch, you know, and that kind of thing. And it becomes sort of a dramatic debate. Um, And how much of teaching in high schools today is done by computer? I'm sure it's quite a bit. Okay, so it was a prophetic episode. So after the interview, I said, uh, Martin, will you could you write the forward for the book? He says, well, I mean, I knew he was going to do it, but he said, well, let me see it first. And yeah, okay. Okay. So I, <laughs> I sent it to him and he says, absolutely. And he, he wrote a beautiful forward for the book. Yes. And I just got, I just got the first copies in and I called him and I said, Martin, he called me lad. And at my age, anybody who calls me lad is okay <laughs> by me. And I said, yeah, okay, great. When can we meet? He says, well, call me in a couple of weeks. I got to do some stuff. So a couple of weeks went by and I guess it was a Sunday and I went, oh yeah, I got to call him. And I was on the phone with somebody and they said, oh, didn't you hear? And I said, what? And they had driven by a movie uh, theater in Santa Monica near me here. And uh, it said, rest in peace, Mark Martin Lando. So I just missed him. But he knew about the book. He was happy for me. He was happy that the show um, was getting its uh, due. And he raved about E. Jack Newman being such a a, a creative artist of the highest in uh, integrity. Another guy who I interviewed, who barely does interviews, was Richard Donner, the director, and who was probably later known for Superman the movie or Lethal Weapon or, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he did seven Mr. Novaks, and they're all great. Um, I mean, he did a great one called Death of a Teacher that's absolutely stunning. just going to mention that one because a lot of TV series will write a character out. They'll have a character on for the express purpose of doing away with them. This was something that caught me. I'm talking, you know, I must not have paid attention to the title card. You're watching, right. you're watching the actual opening of the episode. It's this dynamic teacher. He's kind of running a teacher's meeting. Things are going along. And not only the fact that he dies, he dies at school. And the way that he right. dies is just like, uh, yep. I mean, I, I bolted upright. I'm like, are you kidding me? They did this on right. television and- in 1963 or four, whenever it was. I, I mean, that episode really was just stunning. And it's uh, the way they address the subject matter. Well, I, I completely agree. And uh, uh, Frank Albertson plays the teacher at the beginning. 
and he's an older guy, and it's just a regular meeting or something. And even the way he dies, he kind of just, oh, I don't feel, and, and drops and is a little hazy. It's not like you'd think a show from that time to be sudden dramatic music. Oh, my God, he's dead, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. It wasn't. It was very kind of underplayed because that's life, okay? And Donner directed that one, and he was great. And there's a shot in there that is just, just blew me away where – He's dead. He's in the office, and the the paramedics have come, and uh, you know they have a sheet on the uh, the dead teacher, and and Donner put his camera on the cot as they bring the teacher out, and you see the eight regular teachers looking down, and it pans across them. None of them says a word, but their expressions say more than words could, and it's just wonderful. And his widow is comforted by Dean Jagger in a scene that will bring a tear to you, uh, your eye without being maudlin. And she decides to come back to teaching. And another teacher is uh, kind of explains, well, teachers don't just work five hours a day. They work at night. They work the weekends. And this teacher who died uh, cared about the kids, and it killed him. So he is thinking of quitting, and there's sort of a happy ending where he decides not to because the widow of the uh, uh, dead teacher comes back and it's just great and it and it's an emotional episode and it's moving and it's not dated and even though it's you know about a death it's beautiful and that is why mr novak was great and in fact i just did a, a interview last week with a guy who is a high school teacher and he went berserk on on uh on the death of a teacher episode and he wants to show that one and a couple others next year in his classes. Now, what does that tell you about oh, the enduring yeah. quality of the show? It, it is so timeless so, and the quality of the production. I mean, I would be the first to admit that even some of my favorite television series were a little stage left stage, right? They, they were produced right. in sort of a workmanlike fashion because they were right. after all episodic television at a time when they were cranking them out but out, Mr. Yeah. Novak, the cinematography of it stands up extremely well uh, with the production of today, which is far more elaborate in general. Even a crappy show will have pretty good cinematography. It'll look good. Direction. It'll, yeah, it'll, it'll look, look good. good. And Mr. Novak was that way. In addition to the music, which was absolutely fabulous, there are so many lines. I mean, we all went through high school. We all had teachers. Even if you hated school, there was at least one teacher that made an impression upon you. And it's, That's I believe, right. at the end of the With a Hammer in His Hand episode where the detective who's in charge of finding out what oh, happened in this scuffle. May I? May I? Yeah, please. May I, may I take it? Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because this is one, I'm not, you know, I'm not a particularly sentimental guy. I've lived in Hollywood since the late 70s, so <laughs> there's a touch of the cynicism here, I must say. <laughs> Bit of phony la-la land, I'm afraid, but I have a heart. And at the end of that episode, there's a detective, and he's out in front of the school with Dean Jagger, the principal, and he's talking to him, and he says, you know, they sort of wrap things up, and he says, well, Principal Vane, I remember a teacher back in the day who made a difference to me. Well, who was that, Joe? You. And he walks away, and Dean Jagger just stands there, and he takes his glasses off, and he just looks a little puzzled and touched puts the glasses on, turns around, and walks back into the school. And it's so underplayed and real. I was crying. It was that it, good. It was, it was absolutely it, it was brilliant. It was just wonderful. 
in the way that the way that I remember it, there's two sort of Albert Vane moments that I I really love. That was one of them because I think Albert Vane actually said, uh, I forget the name of the teacher that Simon Oakland plays, but he says, well, Mr. So-and-so is the kind of teacher that you appreciate more 10 years after Later. you leave here yeah. than while you're here. And then and the detective says, yeah, I had a teacher like that. Who was it? His name was Albert Vane. And then right. he just walks well, off. Okay, and, that's, that's, yeah, that's it. Maybe and, I got it wrong, but yeah, that's that was it. That and was and the other was the episode, very first episode, I believe, with Lillian Gish, where Albert, after the pilot, um, where Albert Vane yeah. is actually interacting with a teacher that made a difference to him. And right. you see him sort of fluctuate between, I'm your boss, I'm the head of this school, and sort of the schoolboy that he was yeah. when he had her as a teacher. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and that's a great episode in which Lillian Gish, a, a fine actress back to the days of the silence, and she was elderly then, is just wonderful. And she plays a hygiene teacher that does give a bit of sex education in the class. And then the, the parents, you know, well, we need to tell them and this and that. And there's an unwed mother you know, involved, but everything's handled beautifully. And uh, they they basically pressure the school to get rid of Lillian Gish because she's teaching uh, obscenity or whatever it is. So there are some scenes between the two of them. And, it, and it, again, Dean Jagger was such a fine actor that, that he's authoritative, but she calls him Albert and she still sees him as the 16-year-old boy she taught in the past. And he kind of turns into that a bit. And it's a great comic scene of genuine humor and not corny, maudlin silliness. And uh, it's just great. And, and even that one at the end, there's a little tag where earlier on, um, Jane's friend, Mr. Novak, has been assigned to be a buddy of hers. And she says, well, thank you, Mr. Novak, but uh, I'm fine. Uh, you know, And I don't want any more buddies. Albert, Albert. No more buddies. And she goes back to her class, and the two of them are standing in the hallway, and he says, uh, well, uh, Ms., uh, Mr. Novak says, well, Principal Vane, that's a relief. And he says, well, I think we're all relieved. And they kind of slowly walk down the hallway. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, just getting Lillian Gish on an episodic television series at that time, I mean, people who might be listening right now don't understand perhaps what that means. I mean, it would be like getting... Shirley MacLaine or, you know, pick an, an actress, fine from, actress. The, yeah, fine actress, from the yeah. 50s, an Academy Award winner uh, thought to be an actress, uh, uh, Glenn Close or, uh, you know, I guess you right. could go as far as Meryl Streep. And to have her on the show actually said something for the, the quality of the acting itself. But uh, the, the just that entire episode, Lillian Gish was absolutely brilliant in it. And uh, perfectly cast. And uh, it, it's just like every single episode that you sent me had something to go going for it. The ending was sort of the beat jazz music and Mr. Novak walking through the hallway. And, you know, I, I, right. I hate to say it, but a lot of television shows, once the main dramatic portion of the show is over, I'm on to the next one. I, I don't watch the credits. That one, I watch the credits every time just for that that particular that particular tag on the end of the show yeah yeah because it, it definitely puts it in a time and place and and that was 
Marion Collier is still living. She's quite elderly now, but she was a regular on the show as uh, Miss Scott, the home ec teacher. And it turned out that five years after the show ended, she married E. Jack Newman. So she was his widow, which certainly helped me because at the house was all of his files and, you know, a lot of the awards and so forth. And uh, with that said, the website for the book is MrNovakBook.com. That's M-R-N-O-V-A-K-B-O-O-K.com. And there are photos of some of the awards and uh, just all kinds of content. So, you know, if anybody hears this, check it out. I think you'll have some fun. But she told me as the show was rolling along in the fall of 63, they kept getting all these awards. And the whole attitude of the cast and crew was, we're doing something worthwhile here. And everybody put that extra uh, effort into doing the shows. People got there early, worked later than usual. I mean, not in a, a huge way, because that's, that's unrealistic. But they went the extra mile, because they knew they had something good that was making a difference. Now, Mr. Novak's ratings were always respectable. Uh, unfortunately, Combat slaughtered it in the ratings, but Mr. Novak was more a prestige show for NBC and certainly influential on uh, the educational community. And uh, James Franciscus, being as handsome as he was, they had a big uh, teenage following. Sure. So it all it was like a real respectable show, and there was problems in the second season that ultimately sank it. But in some, and certainly that's, that's a shame because if it had gone one more season, I think Burgess Meredith could have really nailed his, his uh, character as the new principal because near the end of the show, he's getting real good and then they ran out of show. Um, but on the other hand, being only 60 episodes, uh, their batting average is a solid A. It really is. You know, and, and that's hard to say about old shows because, again, you've got to knock out an hour show in five or six days every week. And you get some good ones or bad ones. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes nothing works, but you have to finish it, you know. But Mr. Novak holds up really well. And, uh, and you're another example, Tom. I sent you the stuff and you're raving. You watched them all in one lump. So come on. That and I will probably, you know, wait another couple of weeks and watch them all again. Uh, they're all so good. And, uh, yep. you know, it's it's interesting to watch his development. It's interesting to watch uh, the actual students of the various high schools in certain of the scenes that were employed as extras sort of, uh, you know, capering about. And uh, there, there's just so many interesting things. And I do have to say, again, this is not your run-of-the-mill book about a television series. This book is so invasively down to the nitty-gritty about this program. In an entertaining, you tell a story. You do a great job of telling right. a story Thanks. as you're exposing people to the various facets and aspects of this television program. And uh, I, I'm very hopeful that these episodes will be released on DVD for people. I would be even more excited if, you know, Get TV, Antenna TV, Me TV, Cozy TV, somebody. Oh, yeah. Somebody starts running them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because as you say. Well, uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, as you say, 
take a series, our good buddy Ed Robertson, a series like oh, Maverick, yeah, yeah. you know, or or even The Fugitive, as good as it was, right. Right. it didn't have the batting average that Mr. Novak did. There there were a few clunkers in there that... Well, see, yeah, it, and, it, it, oops, and that's the thing, that it, it just, um, it really, sorry, it, um, it really does hold up with, you know, almost all great shows. And to di- just to go backtrack slightly, you were talking about the extras on the show. Um, Mr. Novak was filmed at the MGM studios in Culver city where they recreated the hallways and classrooms. It was actually filmed in front of two real high schools in Los Angeles. One was John Marshall high school in Silver Lake, which is still there. The pilot was shot there or exteriors. The other one was just down the street from me, Hamilton High School in Culver City. And uh, it depended on what the scene required, but it's kind of funny when you see them. John Marshall has one big central door when you come up the steps. Hamilton has three doors coming up the steps. So in some cases, Principal Vane and Mr. Novak walk into John Marshall and at the end of the episode walk out of Hamilton High School. <laughs> ha ha. You know. Yeah. But but here's here's a great story. Uh, one of one of my favorite people that I interviewed in the whole run of the book is a lady then named Laurie Georges, now married Laurie Georges Gonzalez. She lives in Texas. Well, Laurie was a student at John Marshall High School, and uh, Laurie was in the pilot and had a crush on James Franciscus. And Mr. Novak was her favorite show then, and is her favorite show of all time. So I went through the John Marshall High School alumni magazine, and I heard from about eight of them, but, but she uh, got hold of me, and we talked, and she's a delightful lady. And she was telling me how much she loved the show, and she was an extra, and this and that. But, but here's the great story. She, she said that Mr. Novak was on Tuesday nights at 7.30 opposite combat. Now, some of her girlfriends from the high school uh, couldn't watch it because Dad wanted to watch combat what to do. Well, it turned out that Laurie's father worked evenings, so her mother said, well, if you get your chores done, you can have the girls over for Novak nights. So every night for the whole two-year, Tuesday night for the whole two-year run, uh, uh, 10, 12, and it got up to 20, I think, in the second season, they'd all gather in Laurie's living room to watch Mr. Novak together. You know, and I thought, well, boy, isn't that beautiful teenage love of the show and their teen idol leading man? And she said that, you know, when it ended, there was the summer reruns and, and a lot of the girls didn't show up. But and, and imagine if this could have been captured on video, the very last rerun on the last Tuesday night, they were all there, all 20 of them. Her mom baked a big cake with a school on it, and, you know, they all cried and hugged each other and pledged their love to James Franciscus. <laughs> I mean, I mean, please, you know, I was tearing up talking to her, you know, and, but she's, she's a delight, you know. And so throughout the book, Mr. Novak and Acclaimed Television Series, she is quoted throughout as sort of symbolizing all those teenage girls in America that loved the show. And with that said, James Franciscus was a Yale graduate. I think he graduated summa cum laude. He was, you know, an A student, uh, you know, scholar. And he had originally wanted to go into journalism. 
So when the show hit, there was a magazine in the day called Teen. Now, it wasn't a, a 16 magazine, pop star, Beatle type magazine. It was more a guide for young teenage girls in fashion or career choices or, you know, that it was a, a real magazine. So he wrote a monthly column and he actually wrote them himself giving advice to uh, teenagers. Uh, you know, don't cheat. Um, uh, see the movie, but read the book do, too. Um, uh, do volunteer work or, or whatever it was. Uh, athletics are important, but so is scholarship and, and so forth. And he loved doing them, and he got a lot of great um, uh, uh, response. And in fact, there's a great story in the book where Laurie, uh, for extra credit on a report, read one of his stories and got an A. So she, Mr. Novak got her an A, you know, on, on whatever it was. And uh, that's in the appendix is a list of um, the subject matter. And also in the appendix, um, and may I preface this by saying I'm here in Hollywood, more or less, and I know some aspiring young screenwriters, and I've shown in the book, and the thing that they really like is... I love it. The appendix of the... The appendix of the book is a 12-page writer's guide yes. by E. Jack Newman to the future writers of the show, where he goes into incredible detail on the biographies of the leading characters, Yeah, much more than you would think necessary, so the new writers could come in and find out, say, that Mr. Novak had served in Korea, or, you know, whatever it was. And so when they were writing for the characters, they would really know the 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 multi-level human beings they were writing for. And that shows, and that's in there, his original typed uh, uh, writer's guide. There's also a complete list of the awards and the, and the one merchandise. Now, here's a weird thing. The game. You'd think, you'd think Mr. Novak would have had a ton of merchandise, school tablets, book covers, pens, pencils. I could not find out why, but all they had was a Monopoly-type board game where you can become student uh, class president or something. And there was a soundtrack album and that was it weird, but yeah. nonetheless, the, the game is in there and the, you know, we, we, I talk about, you know, the one game, um, but no, it, it's just really good, you know, and I and love the writer's guide. I uh, thank you for including yeah. that. I love it. And I love yeah, isn't that cool? the language you know, let me introduce you to John Novak. He's a fella. Right. He fella. Right. F-E-L-L-A. He's, he was right. so conversational right. about it. It was wonderful. That's right. That's right. And I've asked around, and I, I know, I'm not sure how much now. I've talked to a couple of older writers, and they said occasionally they, they knew of that being done, or they may have worked on a show where that was sort of done, but that was not the norm for a producer to do that for the writers. You sort of got a brief guide, okay, uh, uh, Joe, Joe Bonomo or whoever, he's a detective and he works uh, you know, out of New York, you know, undercover, and that's it. This really went into the extra mile, and it shows. And that's yeah. why the, pe the people on Mr. Novak are actual people. They're not superficial characters, whether they're a villain a hero, a lost girl, an evil girl, a bad boy, a good boy, or, you know, good parents, bad parents, whatever it is. Another guy I interviewed, Frankie Avalon, um, actually, I think, made close to his dramatic debut on a Mr. Novak. He had done the Beach Party movies with Annette Funicello. 
And of course I sent it to him and he goes, wow, this is, you know, really good and so forth. But in it, he plays uh, the leader of a little sort of uh, gang uh, that they have to break up. And the gang is all he has because it's clear that his, his uh, parents don't pay him any attention and he's a lost kid. And uh, Mr. Novak and Vane try and talk to the parents and, it, and the mother especially just doesn't get through. She, she's just not there. And uh, Frankie, like, trashes a, uh, a school plays, uh, props or something, and at the end, I think it's going to be expelled. And that's the end. Yeah. And, and it's clearly a sad ending, and he leaves, and Novak and Vane are talking, and Mr. Novak's expressing regret, and, and this is beautiful. Dean Jagger Turk turns to him, and in a light conversational voice, says, Mr. Novak, just remember this. You can't save all of them. And it ends. Yeah. Because that's what life is. Right. And sometimes you can't save them, but you save the ones you can. And that's just great, you know, and yeah. come on, man. That's, that really makes it, it quite wonderful. Well, Chuck, we've taken up so much of your time. I cannot tell everybody listening how much I encourage them to get Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series by Chuck Harder. It's on Amazon. You can go to Mr. Novak book uh, and Dot check com. out everything there dot com sorry yeah. and uh see everything that's there but uh i, I want to thank you personally for not only writing the book and sending along uh the dvds that i get to enjoy but mm -hmm. for i don't want to say resurrecting because that that would indicate that it in some way died but revitalizing this series in the consciousness of people and i my deepest hope is that when when the dvds come out people will really flock to your book as the ultimate companion piece to this absolutely brilliant and, uh, you know, far, far, far underappreciated television series. Well, that's kind of my hope, too. Uh, I'm not sure how the sales are going. I think I get a royalty check in a month, so we'll see. But I know I've certainly done a lot of publicity on it, and... Uh, uh, I, I've got, as of today, and this is March 29th, uh, I've got 34 five-star reviews on Amazon. So it's a slam dunk right across the board, which is, you know, nice to read. And, uh, yeah, I hope so, too. Uh, and, and as I said before, you know, I, I've written, I think, four or five books before this. Some have done good. You know, uh, earlier ones, uh, you know, were more modest projects. They were good books. They just didn't sell a lot or whatever. Um but when I got into this initially, it wasn't particularly, well, I'm going to make, write a book to make X money or I'm going to do, it, it was a creative project. And I was so knocked out by the quality of the show. And then when I found out it was forgotten, uh, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, altruistic or, uh, you know, godlike complex or anything, but I just went, I got to do it. I have to do it. Oh, you I have did to do it. something about this. Right. And then when I started talking to people within the next week, you know, the publisher said, fine. And then I made the first couple of calls and, and it just, everybody, yeah, Mr. Novak. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And then boom, 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 boom. And so it, it was a lot of hard work, certainly, which is making a book, but it was also so much fun. And I made some good friends here. Walter Koenig and I are buddies now. We have lunches now and then. And Laurie George's uh, Gonzalez in uh, Texas is a, is a sweet friend and some other people, too. So, uh, 
No, it's been real, real good. And, uh, and if I may semi-close with this, we have our buddy Ed Robertson who recommended me to uh, uh, reach out to you. Well, I did his uh, TV Confidential uh, podcast, and, and we blabbed so much it went into two parts, which was fun. But you know what? It was the same thing. I sent him the book and some episodes. I think he'd seen some back in the day, but not for a while. He watched him, and he went crazy and said, wow, you know, what a great show. And then we did the thing, and uh, it uh, came out pretty good, you know. And Ed's a great guy, and he yeah. certainly knows his television. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, it, it just, Mr. Novak um, with James Franciscus and Dean Jagger, as produced by E. Jack Newman, um, NBC show, uh, uh, I think will come back in some ways, and are, uh, hopefully it'll get the it'll get the legacy it deserves. There are books on the Kennedy assassination that are less detailed than your book, and I say that in a complimentary fashion. I I was blown away by the amount of research and the amount of just actual detail. In this book, I mean, it's I, I the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, how did this guy find this stuff from 55 years ago or however long it was? This is amazing. Well, thank you. And, and a lot of that, what drove me on, because it is a hard slug. And then, you know, in the three years, I just have to stop for a month because I was hallucinating seeing term papers in high school. You know, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, exactly. I got to get away. But everybody was just so nice and encouraging, whether they were fans, worked on the show, uh, journalists or, or whatever. Um, and if they were older, old enough, and they remembered the show, they went crazy. If they were younger and perhaps um, were retro collectors who got VHS tapes of the Turner uh, reruns from the late 80s, they all went crazy. Um, so anybody that's even, like you said earlier, has seen it at all on whatever age level or source, they know it's great, you know. So I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pushing, pushing the thing, and uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on. And, uh, um, you know, yeah, Mr. Novak, you know. And if I can say this to the uh, listeners who, who are hearing my voice, um, if you <clears throat> snoop around the internet, look here, look there, look under that rock or that rock, you can find some episodes to get, and that's probably all I should say on that. <laughs> but uh, just snoop around. Uh, you know, people have said you offer, me offer, I offer. Uh, there are places you can kind of maybe find some episodes until Warner Archive uh, does their thing. Hopefully soon. Well, with that, I guess uh, class dismissed. Okay. Thank you, Teach. I hope I uh, get a good grade on my report. I suspect your parents will be very happy. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst-quenching soft drinks, fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com.
We'd like to thank Chuck Harder for being on the show tonight. You can get Mr. Novak, an acclaimed television series on Amazon or at MrNovakBook.com. Go get it now. It is chock full of great stuff, and we highly recommend it. Go to the TomGullyShow.com for the posting of episode 262 here, and you can see cover of the book, how Chuck spells his name, uh, the show's logo, really uh, anything you'd want to refer to. Uh, you'll get to see James Franciscus, who's 72 times better looking than I will ever be or have ever been. You'll get to see Dean Jagger, who probably looks like your principal. Hard to say. Um, Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me, but the show on Facebook as well, if the mood strikes you. By the way, we now do the Tom Gully Show After Dark which is a uh, live streaming Facebook show. If you go to that Facebook page, it's on every evening as a chat room, and you can call in as well, and you can uh, talk to me, ask me questions about home repair, automotive, personal hygiene, relationships, uh, how to remove embarrassing stains from contour sheets, whatever you'd like, really. Um and, of course, as always, the TomGullyShow.com. That's, of course, where you can find everything about the show. There's uh, all sorts of stuff there. Our Twitter page, link. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka. It's a big story behind that name. I'll tell it some other time. And, uh, you know, that'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I've got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. You know, each night, Jay Johnson brings us in with a song called The Truth Wagon. You can go to jjohnsonmusic.com and check out everything the late, great Jay Johnson did, and I highly encourage you to buy it all. And each night, we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. If you go to hitmanbluesband.com, you can find out everything about the band. But if you go to hitmanbluesband.net, You can sign up for the mailing list, and I mean, it is a judicious mailing list. If I get four mails from them a year, uh, it's a lot. They're very, very, they don't hassle you, believe you me. But when you sign up for that mailing list, you can get several free blues songs from one of America's premier uh, blues bands, because that's how we roll. So uh, please take advantage of that, and we will see you next time. Well, the bucket lifts a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you night while you hold your baby tight but he don't want you you can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies but he don't want you 
stays at work too long And you beg him to come home But he don't want to Girl, I'd be so good for you I know you could love me too But you don't want to I've got a black book full of numbers Of names I'll never call